back to The Daily Poem here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern. Today's poem is by W.S. Merwin, an American poet who is still living. He's 91 years old. He has won two Pulitzer Prizes in 1971 and 2009. He won the National Book Award for Poetry in 2005. He has won the Penn Translation Prize, the Aiken Taylor Award for Modern American Poetry, and he has been the United States Poet Laureate. Merwin is absolutely one of the preeminent modern American poets. And the poem that I'm going to read today is called Fox Sleep. It's from The Vixen, which was published in 1996, a collection published in 1996. This poem actually has several parts to it. I think six parts to it, maybe seven, something like that. I'm going to read the first section of that poem. This is how it goes. On a road through the mountains with a friend many years ago, I came to a curve on a slope where a clear stream flowed down, flashing across dark rocks through its own echoes that could neither be caught nor forgotten. It was the turning of autumn, and already the mornings were cold, with ragged clouds in the hollows long after sunrise. But the pasture sagging like a roof, the glassy water and flickering yellow leaves and the few poplars and knotted plum trees were held up in a handful of sunlight that made the slates on the silent mill by the stream glisten white above their ruin. And a few relics of the life before had been arranged in front of the open millhouse to wait, pale in the daylight, out on the open mountain, after whatever they had been made for was over. The dew was drying on them, and there were few who took that road who might buy one of them and take it away somewhere, to be unusual, to be the only one, to become unknown. A wooden bed stood there on rocks, a cradle the color of dust, a cracked oil jar, iron pots, wooden wheels, iron wheels, stone wheels, the tall box of a clock, and among them a ring of white stone the size of an embrace, set into another of the same size, an iron spike rising from the ring where the wooden handle had fitted that turned it in its days as a handmill. You could see if you looked closely that the top ring that turned in the other had been carved long before in the form of a fox, lying nose and tail, seeming to be asleep. The features worn almost away where it had gone around and around, grinding grain and salt to go into the dark and to go on and remember. I first came across this poem when reading a book that I've mentioned before called Why Poetry. It's by Matthew Zapruder. It came out in 2017, I believe. And Zapruder is writing in this section of the book about the value of narrative framework. And he comments about how when he was younger and he was first reading Merwin, he had viewed narrative poetry or narrative framework in poetry as a relic of an earlier age, kind of older poets. And it wasn't contemporary. But he talks in the book about how Merwin is so effective in poems like this precisely because of the narrative structure. The, the poem begins, he notes, with a description of the things that he's seeing. But it's the process of discovery that is embedded in the narrative which enables the poem to be so meaningful. And this is what Zapruder writes. I just want to read a little section here for you. I hope you'll get his book. He says, quote, Merwin's poems have always been mysterious, generous, and clear, knowing in their unknowingness. Often this effect is achieved by means of telling a simple story. In this book, as in much of Merwin's poetry, the combination of narrative structure and associative paratactic movement together make it possible for Merwin to do something else essential to the effect of these poems, to move quietly and confidently into an aphoristic truth-telling mode that is somehow full of deep personal compassion, yet also disembodied, 
These aphoristic moments seem almost to emerge from the natural world as truths as undeniable as animals or weather. Beneath their simple, generous surfaces, these poems are often very complex. Zapruder also writes in a different section, a little bit earlier, he says, I often say to my students that without clarity, it is not possible to have true mystery. By clarity, I mean a sense in the reader that what is being said on the surface of the poem is not a scrim or a veil deliberately hiding some other hidden, inaccessible certainty. Clarity for me in poetry is a kind of generosity, a willingness to be together with the reader in the same place of uncertainty, striving for understanding, to give the impression that something important is happening, but that the mere reader cannot, without some kind of special esoteric knowledge, have access to it, strikes me as deeply ungenerous, even cruel. End quote. Merwin certainly offers us an image that is that is available to us, right? We can we can we can see what he's saying. There's not confusion about the images that he's trying to direct us towards or the things that he wants us to imagine, the things that he wants us to contemplate. And certainly there is something deeper going on there, something richer. There's all kinds of thematic things that we could spend our lives thinking about. But the first thing is that there is an image, there's a story, there's a scenario, there's a world that's being created that we have access to. I think that's what Matthew Zapruder is getting at in that in his comments there. And it's why I like this poem. Um, And so um, I'll read it one more time and then be done for today. W.S. Merwin's Fox Sleep. On a road through the mountains with a friend many years ago, I came to a curve on a slope where a clear stream flowed down, flashing across dark rocks through its own echoes that could neither be caught nor forgotten. It was the turning of autumn, and already the mountains were cold with ragged clouds in the hollows long after sunrise. But the pasture sagging like a roof, the glassy water and flickering yellow leaves and the few poplars and knotted plum trees were held up in a handful of sunlight that made the slates on the silent mill by the stream glisten white above their ruin. And a few relics of the life before had been arranged in front of the open millhouse to wait, pale in the daylight, out in the open mountain, after whatever they had been made for was over. The dew was drying on them, and there were few who took that road who might buy one of them and take it away somewhere, to be unusual, to be the only one, to become unknown. A wooden bed stood there on rocks, a cradle the color of dust, a cracked oil jar, iron pots, wooden wheels, iron wheels, stone wheels, the tall box of a clock, and among them a ring of white stone the size of an embrace, set into another of the same size. An iron spike, rising from the ring where the wooden handle had fitted that turned it in its days as a hand mill. You could see if you looked closely that the top ring that turned in the other had been carved long before in the form of a fox, lying nose and tail, seeming to be asleep, the features worn almost away where it had gone around and around, grinding grain and salt, to go into the dark and to go on and remember. This has been The Daily Poem. Thanks for listening. Be back on Monday with another poem for you.